Welcome to Second Acts. I'm your host, Linwood Lawton. If you are a regular listener to Second Acts, you've heard Parker Enix Ross, who's our resident film critic. Parker gives us his reviews on current films. But today is a bit of a departure. Parker, who, as you know, is a graduate film student at Temple University, and instead of reviewing current films today, we're going to explore Parker's picks over the last decade. Hello, Parker. Hello. Ready to review? Yep. First of all, tell us how you developed your love for film. So I started uh, a real appreciation for film kind of in high school. I'd always loved certain genre films, a lot of Quentin Tarantino, my father started me on. But then he would show me kind of classic films. I remember one night, uh, I was going to have a uh, later morning, I wouldn't have to be at school so early. And as I was saying goodnight to him, he told me On the Waterfront was on. So we sat down, we watched On the Waterfront, great classic film, Marlon Brando, you know, I could have been somebody, I could have been a contender. And those kind of stories were really ingrained and formative. And I started thinking about kind of the power media had as a narrative. And then I started thinking to things that had left an imprint on me. And one of those was the cartoons, an old cartoon called Static Shock about a black teenage superhero. And I remember that image was so powerful and so cool. And as a kid, I couldn't figure out why. I just know I really liked the show and my friends liked the show, but they didn't like it and gravitate to it the way I did. And I started exploring more about, you know, what media and film and the kind of visual power, what that meant. And kind of started thinking about it more and more and decided I want to explore that and study that. And that's how I started and ended up studying film. Now, when you first started college, was did it, you have it in mind that that's what you wanted to do? No, well, I'd always liked writing. So originally I went into college as an English major, thinking, all right, English, study the literature, writing and get to... Uh, and get to kind of screenwriting through that. And that did not work because English, you have to read a lot of uh, older texts I studied with. I studied, uh, was it Dostoevsky? And that just did not take. And I thought, no, we'll, we'll go to another, we'll, we'll drop that and we'll go. You mean to tell me Dostoevsky didn't, didn't segue right it into didn't. filming? It, it really it didn't... Uh, hook me the way I, I thought it would I'm and then uh, and film still also has a kind of a learning curve and classics you have to watch but I, I can sit through a battleship Potemkin and kind of that that level of Russian uh, filmmaking a lot easier than I can stomach Dostoevsky um, so I started studying film seriously in 2014 but I'd always there were other things I kind of picked up on, um, like I said, I really liked Quentin Tarantino's work, Guy Ritchie's stuff, and those kind of elements I kind of would pick up and go, all right, well, what are they doing? And then you go on the internet and you figure out, okay, so it's a little bit of a film noir, what's a film noir? And then you kind of build and try to find movies that fit the mold you like. And I think that's the case for a lot of film students. They kind of, there's something that grabs them. And now, then they kind of pick at it and try to figure out 
what that one person was doing and then you go back from what they're doing. It's interesting that you mentioned Guy Ritchie because um, his film Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels was probably one of the most unique films I had seen because of just how it was made, just how he did it, how the plot uh, unfolds and right, disjointed exactly. and things will happen in one scene and then you don't figure it out until why. later and he ties the whole thing up you know in in, in one or two in uh in one or two scenes what is it about filmmaking that is so appealing to you personally i i like the collaborative nature of it it's possibly the most collaborative art form i can think of other than something like maybe architecture because you need people to build it because a film is not a product of one person. It is the director and the director has to talk to a cinematographer to compose a shot, but they both have to know the kind of the terminology and the language to know, all right, this, we have to film the actor in X way, but I want to do this. And then the cinematographer has to say, well, all right, if you want that shot, you need, this is what we need. And this is how you have to go about it. And then they have to go to their light person, their gaffer, and explain, all right, can you get us a silhouette? And the light person has to coordinate all of that. And then you that doesn't even include the sound person who has to be on his game to get all the, the sounds and the Foley person, separate from the sound person, who gets well, the effects. For so, people who, again, who, don't, who, who may not be familiar with some of the terms. What is a Foley person? So uh, Foley are, so when you watch a film, everything, all these sound effects you hear, so people walking in a hallway, starting a car engine, uh, all those uh, additional sounds have to be recorded somewhere else offstage. They are not recorded on set. They are kind of done in a controlled environment, or if you are a film student, they're just done after the set and then inserted during the sound point. editing. Got it. Uh, so, for example, we shot a student film. I shot it during my undergrad, and we were filming on a gravel road. So after the shoot was done, we had to then go back and record someone walking on the gravel because there's just the you have to make sure the dialogue is strong enough and then all the undercurrent sounds. So you have to have multiple sound tracks to make sure everything sounds the way it should. So going back to to what was so appealing to you about film, and you said it was the collaborative nature, and then you mentioned uh, the, the director, the cinematographer, the Foley person who does who's responsible for sound. Uh, what are some of the other elements of that the collaboration? Editor, um, the editor. So when all your primary footage is shot, you then have to have someone else edit it. Now, some directors can edit their own work. Some prefer to have an editor. Quentin Tarantino once said in a documentary about editing, if it had been up to him, the cut of Pulp Fiction would have been four hours long. Nobody really wants to see a four-hour version of Pulp Fiction. So the editor has a very uh, difficult job in kind of working with a director to trim a film down into a manageable length and deciding what scenes work, what don't, what kind of, you know, I need this take done again from a different angle. And they have to have a good enough relationship with the director to be able to tell the director, no, this bit that you love right here doesn't work in your movie and we got to take it out. Now, tell me this, because I, I 
personally see this, and I have no idea what they do. They're producers. And then there's executive producers and associate producers. Producers. What do producers do? So producers are kind of very interesting, and I didn't know until I took a course in this, but they're kind of responsible for being the people who tell you no you want to shoot in, let's say, Saigon. We're not shooting there, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, because it's too expensive. And, you know, the we, we're signing the insurance waivers and they have to go back to the people with the money and go, OK, so like the director wants to do X, Y and Z. And I talked him into doing X and Y. But then you got to give him an extra like six weeks to whatever time he wants so we can get this thing. They're kind of the intermediaries. Oh, between the, the money people. And the, and, and the and director the, and the artist. And the, the uh, creative people. Now, is it fair to say the producers do exactly that? They produce the movie. They make sure the movie gets done. Yes. So if is, you have different producers, they're just doing different things. Yeah, so one might be like the location person who's like coordinating with, you know, government. I say governments, but getting you know licenses to shoot places working with uh foreign locations trying to get those things squared away and then uh you know you might have a main producer who's working with studios and all of that executive producers are generally kind of a a, a, a title bestowed people who have some kind of uh financial stake or investment or maybe a writing credit. Like James Cameron was the executive producer for the last Terminator movie. He didn't write it, but he gave maybe, you know, writing guidelines or mm-hmm. uh, some kind of assistance. Because in that of his, he had done other films. Right. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So let's get to the, let's just get right to Parker's decade of films. And we're going to start at 2010. That's when you were a junior in high school, correct? Yes. All right. So 2010. What struck your fancy that year? So 2010, I went with a movie. It was probably not the, quote, best movie, but it was a movie that meant the most, and it was called It's Kind of a Funny Story. And it was about a high school student, so relatable, and who is this high school student who was going to commit suicide, but at the last second, he was standing on the Brooklyn Bridge and decided not to, and he checks himself into a mental institution. The next day, he's like, look, I'm fine. I just had a moment. But the psych ward is like, well, you're committed for a week. You got to stay here for a week. And it's just him kind of talking to people, exploring really what drove him to that point and uh, kind of his development over the course of a week. Zach Galifianakis is in it, playing against type. is a very kind of serious, damaged patient at the psych ward. It's just very good. And it also, I thought, had a message that really resonated with me at that age, and that was that kind of the things you're stressing about, the things that are that mean so much to you, you know, kind of will dissipate and will pass and aren't the end of the world. And I thought that was good for a junior to learn. You know, juniors, I was about to take the SATs, going to college, those kind of stressors. And I could see how that would uh, really affect a person. And I thought that was a good coming-of-age story for people of that age. All right, 2011, you graduate from high school. What was uh, what was big for you that year? Yeah, so 2011, I went with The Adventures of Tintin. It's just a very good animated movie. Uh, Steven Spielberg had, I believe, produced it and worked with Peter Jackson. 
Uh, it was kind of like Indiana Jones in animated form, and it did really well. It just never got a sequel, which was a shame. But isn't Ten Ten like a a, a French? Um, I believe he's Belgian. A Belgian, a Belgian okay. character, right? Yeah, very popular in in Europe. Hugely popular. Right. Uh, and it was just a very good, beautiful, uh, beautifully animated movie. It was kind of CGI, and it was still at a stage where the CGI movies weren't taken as seriously as kind of the hand-drawn animations. Uh, Disney had just moved away from it, and they weren't... um, They just still had this weird... The the effects weren't quite there, but Tintin really kind of elevated... Okay. What people thought of those. So the adventures of 1010 in 2011. Now we get up to 2012. You're in college. You're moving along. So what was what was on your mind, or what did you like in that year? So two, uh, 2012 was kind of the year I really started paying more attention to movies I was watching in a theater. So 2012 gave us Argo, which I thought was fantastic. It was Ben Affleck, uh, starred and I believe directed, and it was the story of the rescue of the Iranian hostages in 1979. Um, So there was that. And then Looper, which was uh, Ryan Johnson, who has since become a favorite director of mine, who went on to do Knives Out. If audiences remember, Knives Out came out last year. And the Disney's uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. But Looper was kind of his first movie that I had seen. He had done one previously. But Looper was... Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a hitman in the future where the mob sends people back in time so people can kill them in the past. And then Bruce Willis plays Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character in the future and their kind of conflict. And it's just very gritty, but also some of the cinematography. Ryan Incorporated, it was just a, it was one of those movies you watch and you're kind of in awe because you've never seen anything like it before. All right, 2013, 2014. Give me those back to back. Wolf of Wall Street in 2013. Mm-hmm. And Grand Budapest Hotel in 2014. 2014 was when I officially became a film major. So I had studied a semester's worth of writing and uh, cinematography and all your basic level film courses. And I remember. I somehow I was watching Grand Budapest and it was gorgeous. Wes Anderson shoots very just beautiful movies and it was the most accessible Wes Anderson movie I had seen at that point. And it was just one of those things that like you're this is what film is kind Mm -hmm. of the art mixed with the kind of the writing, which was an element I've always really liked kind of quirky, fun dialogue with good direction and all of those elements. All right, now you're a film student, you're heavy into it, you're committed to this as, as, a, uh, as an art, and you're developing your artistic chops. So we're up to 2015, 2016. In 2015, what hit you? What was uh, the film that you liked best in 2016? I want you to give me those back-to-back as well. 2015, I went with Force Awakens just because as a child, Star Wars was a huge part of my upbringing and to see it back in theaters in such a big way, but to also then be able to appreciate kind of the filming aspects of it was uh, kind of two worlds colliding. 2016, Hell or High Water, which 
was began my campaign for liking movies that would just have no shot at winning Best Picture. <laughs> it was fantastically written. It harkened back to what I really liked in kind of noir and neo-noir settings. Brilliantly acted. Yeah, the absolutely. Writing, I saw that and I agree with you. That was really, really a good the movie. The writing was just so good. So tight, yes. Uh, it got an award for Best Original Screenplay, I believe. It was definitely nominated. Mm-hmm. But I was really, all of 2016, from when I saw it to when it was in theaters, I was gunning like, no, this should be a Best Picture. And it it had no chance. It <laughs> right. didn't even get close. It didn't, didn't get a sniff. Okay, so 2017, 2018. Now, you graduated in 2018, correct? Uh, 2017. 2017. Oh, okay. So 2017, the year of your graduation, you were pretty much knew you were going to go to graduate school. So what was what was on your mind in 2017? Get out. Um, and 2017 had a lot of really good things. It had Blade Runner 2049. It had Last Jedi, like I mentioned earlier. But Get Out was... I don't really generally go for horror movies. I just find there's not enough that interests me in the genre. Um, and I don't mean to be pretentious, but it just doesn't grab me and I don't have that appreciation and I know that about myself. But Get Out was one of the most unique film theater experiences I right. had. Right, I agree. Yeah. Uh, just to see it, and I saw it in Philadelphia, in North Philadelphia, uh, on a pre-screening. And it was just the way the audiences were reacting, it was something that I don't think I'll really ever experience again, just how good and how tense it was and how Jordan Peele directed and really kind of built tension and played with expectations in a way that uh, I really wasn't expecting. And it was something that's just really stuck with me since. His uh, commentary, Jordan Peele's commentary on race and sex was awesome in that it, 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 yes, it was a horror movie, but it was a horror movie unlike anything I had ever seen. And it, it harkened back to, I think, what horror really does well and you don't see a lot in the modern age. It took, uh, it, it was social commentary, uh, the way the original Night of the Living Dead was social commentary, and it kind of really brought it and modernized that, and I thought that was very unique. And 2018. So 2018, I went with Into the Spider-Verse. It was just one of the best not only was one of the best superhero movies, but one of the best animated movies. And the story was so good, but visually it was so unique and distinct from anything I had seen to that point. And I'd been trying to build more of an appreciation for animation and the way they animated the movie to look like comic, a comic book. Like you would, the way shots were tilted to be, look like panels and the art style. And each of the characters had their own art style to kind of bounce off of each other, it was just so visually distinct. Yeah, and the colors of the, the like the clothing was was bright and vivid. Like you right. said, that, that's an excellent description. It looked just like a, a comic book that came to life. All right, so ending the decade, we have 2019, a uh, year that just just passed. So what uh, what was important to you for that year? So um, for the majority of that year, it was the farewell, just because of how. The characters uh, resonated. The relationship that Aquafina's character had with her grandmother was very reminiscent of the relationship I have with my Aunt Nancy in our interactions. And it was just a beautiful story. But then at the kind of the cusp end, 
saw Parasite. Well, I saw Parasite in January, but it came out in 2019, and Parasite is just very, very good. It's uh, kind of the social commentary and the class dichotomy it shows is very interesting, but it never kind of paints one side as being the right side and one side is objectively wrong. They're kind of melding in the way the kind of poor family acts as the parasite to the wealthier family in that they need the wealthy family to keep paying them for their jobs so they can sustain life, but the wealthy family wouldn't be able to function without the poor family doing all the work. You can kind of see it just had layers and it was a movie that was so good. I had to see it basically twice in the same weekend just to really wrap my head around it. But it also had the great, what I like to call film nerd elements of really good tracking shots and brilliant match cuts, which are, you know, film editing terms. Yes, I understand. And it's one of those things is just like the movie is very, very good, but also kind of the layers and the writing to it. Um, I think that that's that's very interesting from your um, your from your artistic view of things, and you've said this before in some of the other podcasts that you did that you really really enjoyed the farewell. You come back to it often, so clearly it had an impression uh, an impression upon you. Just the other night, I saw I hadn't seen Aquafina other than a commercial she was in with Two Chains or something. I hadn't seen anything that she had done, but the other night I saw Nora from Queens and. She is brilliant. She's very funny. She's, yeah. and she's but she's done, so funny in such a subtle way. You know, um, she's just very, very, very funny, funny actress. Um, yeah, and I enjoyed that. And I think I'm going to have to see Farewell because you, th- you, you think it's such a really good movie. I think I'm going to be moved to rent it when it comes out or, or watch it when it comes out. So that was 2019. Parker, thank you so much for sharing that. That's a part of your life that I'm sure the audience uh, is, is, is appreciated. I certainly did. I certainly appreciated uh, you sharing that part of your life about how you got into films. Um, I know that you know that Guy Ritchie has a new film out, The Gentleman. Yes. And you saw it. I did. And next time, let's talk about uh, The Gentleman and Guy Ritchie because he's one of my my favorite uh favorite directors i think he is brilliant he seems to always now all of his films have (laughs) he hasn't hit it out of the park every single time but for the most part he does so we're going to talk about both we're going to talk about um the ones where he really did uh do a terrific job and ones that not so much and, and maybe why that was the case is that okay with you that sounds good to me you have been listening to Second Acts. I'm your host, Linwood Lawton. Second Acts is recorded at the Macro Sound Studios in Union, New Jersey. And you can hear all of our podcasts on SoundCloud at Linwood Lawton Second Acts. See you next time. <laughs>